morning and welcome to the pre-Thanksgiving Day edition of WNHH Radio's Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines and the stories that make New Haven tick. George Logan helps to make our state tick. He's a state senator from the 17th District. That includes a whole lot of towns, including Hamden, Derby, and Sonia Woodbridge, and some others. We also hear he plays a mean Stratocaster guitar. <laughs> George is here in the WNHH studio to tell us what it was like spending an inaugural year at the fractious state capitol, where the legislature is in perpetual crisis and paralysis, but also offering occasional glimmers of hope. We also have a special thanks to Yale Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. Welcome to the studio, Senator George Logan. How you doing? Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. You're making time for us on uh, the day before Thanksgiving. Appreciate it. I know it's a busy time for pressing the flesh and all that stuff. No, it's a great pleasure to be here. Trying now, to get, I'm trying to get my Facebook uh, live going here. Okay, okay. Now, George, um, you haven't been pressing the flesh very long, even though you're an adult. You're 48 years old, I heard. and But you've just spent your first year in elected office, correct? That's correct, yes. So your first year at the Capitol, and what a year it was. They, uh, they were the last state in the country to pass a budget. We were supposed to pass it, I guess, it's July 1st, and we didn't do it until November. Yeah, so the end of the uh, regular uh, session was June 7th. So the main objective um, you know, of that last session was to pass a budget, and we failed to do a so. Two-year by budget, yeah, two-year budget. Forty-one billion is it something? That's correct. Yeah, forty-one billion dollars, approximately. And you know, I tell folks, uh, sure, uh, we were certainly late passing a budget, but there's a reason for that. The reason for that is, um, you know, in the uh, Senate and in the House. Um, we have more parity in terms of numbers of Republicans and Democrats. Right, you're evenly split in the Senate. The, the governor, lieutenant governor, breaks the tie, but as we saw, you get a few defections from the Democrats. The Republicans, all of a sudden, there is no one party in charge. Right, that's right. So the the in the past, what you had is the um, Democrats um, had more kind of a uh, a big majority. So it's a super majority, right? It's a term of art. So even regardless of um, even if they had some Democrats that that didn't go along with, let's say, a, a new budget. They always had enough numbers to be able to pass a budget with no Republican votes, right? And even if uh, a number of Democrats uh, didn't approve uh, the past budgets. Now, the budget that um, most likely would have been presented if we did not have this tie in the, in the Senate uh, and um, have you know, almost close to parity in the House would be a budget that included, yet again, another big tax increase. So the reason why the budget was delayed is because um, the Democrats in the House couldn't come up with enough votes to pass the budget that they wanted to pass. That we're, was, we're, in, we're in a purple political era. It's yeah. no longer democratic control. It's really a purple legislature. Right. So we had to work together, you know, in terms of coming up with a, a budget. So we managed to come up with a bipartisan uh, budget uh, that we passed um, in September. It passed with um, uh, Republican and Democratic votes. Uh, it didn't include any uh, you know, major tax uh, you know, increases. Uh, it passed the House. It passed the Senate. It did have a tax increase on poor people. The earned income tax increase. They changed the uh, the floor on that. Yeah, changing the floor. But it, again, it's uh, tomatoes, tomatoes. You know, you call it you know, earned income tax credit. It's different than adding a tax onto someone. You know, but they didn't. People right. who didn't have to pay taxes before, who are barely getting by now, have to pay taxes. Uh, well, again, we could probably argue the the details of that, but uh, right. um, so, but what it did, what it did though, the um, the budget did not have a billion and a half dollars worth of tax increase. I think we can agree on that, right? There was sales tax increase, uh, increases on sales tax. There was a, a restaurant tax increase. Uh, it had a fuel oil tax increase, a cell phone tax increase. So all of that was um, in the um, budget that 
the House of Democrats were trying to put together, but they couldn't cobble together enough uh, support in their own party uh, for that because folks in Connecticut are tired of uh, increased taxes. You know, there, there has to be a maximum uh, that folks can afford to pay when it comes to taxes. So I'm wondering if you're headed in maybe a pre-Thanksgiving day, we can indulge in a little Pollyannish thinking. So even sure. though it took so long, yes, and people said, this is terrible, and towns are freaking out because they have to pass their own budgets. They don't know how much you're going to get. But maybe if you look at it from a national perspective, was this the first, the only state in the country that you can think of? And maybe I don't know enough about the 50 states. But you look at Congress, you look at 50 states. Is this the one place where Democrats or Republicans had no choice but to govern together and compromise and put together serious piece of legislation? So it took longer, and we didn't like how long it took, but in fact, looked at from a different perspective, it was a success? I certainly consider it a, se- a success in that we were able to stave off a billion and a half dollars worth of tax increases to the residents in the state of Connecticut. So that I consider that a success. I mean, there's 50- But you could have done that with a Republican-only legislature. What I'm driving at is, did yes. we have bipartisan government in a way that we're not seeing in, in this country? Not that people wanted to do that, but that we had no choice. I haven't studied all the 50 states, but I mean, there's 50 states, so I'm sure that there are other states that have uh, you know more parity you know uh, than others. Um, um, so I'm, I'm I'm sure there are other states that have bipartisan unity. I don't I don't believe that the entire United States of America uh, is that um, you know partisan in terms of their politics, particularly when it comes to the state level. And we, we also need to make sure that we don't confuse uh, state um, uh, politics, if you will, and state budgets uh, to what's going on on the federal but level we in Virginia Washington. Virginia, when it was like out and out war, was that the state where the Republicans had the legislature and there's a Democratic governor and they just wouldn't things couldn't move. Uh, well, to some degree, yes, yes. I mean, in in that uh, again, my focus is on Connecticut. Yeah. Certainly, the issue. So, there, bringing you back, yeah. do you feel you feel it's a good result that you didn't have a bigger tax increase? And I'm just wondering whether there was a positive lesson in the parties working together, or is that just being Pollyannish? Is that no? Sad? It's a huge positive that, that the parties work together, and I think we need to see you know more of that. Um, I think the the fact that the parties work together, we came up with a compromise budget. Uh, that, um, you know, some say that uh, both the Democrats and the Republicans uh, um, legislators weren't satisfied with the uh, with the budget because folks had to compromise in terms of what actually ended up in the budget. Sort of like what they say about reporters, if everyone's mad at us, we're doing our job right. Which right, isn't always right, true because right. we could do bipartisan um, slander. Yeah, so from my, my perspective, <laughs> from my perspective, it's uh, we're making incremental steps, you know, towards um, trying to change uh, uh, Connecticut and put it in a different uh, direction. And what is that different direction? That when we have um, a hole to fill uh, in our budget, that we just don't go to the well of raising taxes, right? Remember in 2011, we had the biggest tax increase in the history of the state of Connecticut. Um, and what did we get for that? 2015, we had the second biggest tax increase in the history of the state of Connecticut. And in 2017, we're going uh, along that same path again, Uh, And there were a number of legislators, Republicans and Democrats, uh, who felt that, look, we have to really uh, reprioritize our spending and, you know, really work and spend within our means. So let me ask you, George Logan, you went to legislature not as a newbie or someone who had a lot of experience in your life in the private sector and just living. And you're getting a fresh look at politics at 48 years old. After your first session, what do you take away about the way business does or doesn't get done in our state capital? Yeah, so a, a, a big difference is, I mean, one reason I even I threw my hand in the ring was because I wanted to bring sort of some of that business acumen, if you will, up to uh, Hartford. Um, I think that um, um, as far as running the state is concerned, we oftentimes just throw, um, you know, uh, good money after bad. Uh, an example I often use is look at the Department of Motor Vehicles. 
the Department of Motor Vehicles. I choose circles. not to. Actually. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so we, most of us don't have a choice, right? I actually think the, the scientific explanation is that it's jinxed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe in uh, jinxes. <laughs> I believe, but I do, uh, I do follow and uh, believe that there is a, such, such a thing as bad management that can be corrected. But, I mean, both parties, Malloy, Democratic governor, Roland, Republican governor, they really tried to fix the DMV. It is so broken. You got to pay people to stand in line for you. You got to take a day to do something that should take five minutes. Well, when you take a look at the Department of Motor Vehicles, what did they try to do a couple years ago? They said, look, we need to fix DMV. Let's buy a new computer system, and that will make everything better. Yeah, I mean, so, Lloyd came to the school management at Yale, said we're doing the tech fix. Yeah, yeah but that, that, that's just a tool. You know, and I know that as coming from the business side of things, you can't just install a software program or buy a new Fandango machine or something other. You have to really look at the workflow, look at the, you know how you're getting work done, and really uh, um, you know blueprint how things are getting done. There's look at the workflow. There's got to be a core reason that they so inefficiently have lines managed, and you wait so long. And I feel so bad for the people working there. They're often not in a pleasant mood. I don't blame them because everyone's so mad at them. And they feel they don't have enough resources to get it done. But I think I'm hearing from you it's not a resource question. No, it's not a resource question. It's a management question. You have to take a look at what is the mission and objective of, let's say, any uh, program or organization, or in this case, DMV. What are they trying to accomplish and how are they going about doing it? You need to start from the ground up and make sure that you're being as efficient uh, as possible. So you need better management in DMV, not a new computer system. How about specifics? How would you manage it differently? Well, again, you have to look at you know what are the objectives of DMV: um, um, license renewal, registration renewals. How's that? How's that information being inputted? You have to take a look at: Does it make sense to have these uh, uh, centers? You know, for a while, a AAA, for example, was renewing licenses. I used to always go there, I'd pay the extra, but then everyone started going there, so that took a long time. Yes, exactly. And now I heard that um, uh, West Haven, I think, starting next year, um, um, right downtown West Haven, they're going to actually be helping with license renewals. Thinking smart like that. You know, to, to like in think, other words, outsource to maybe local governments a, to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Whether local governments or in this case, or in, in, the, in the case of AAA, using an outside organization that already has the systems in place and set up, and mm. can uh, work in conjunction, you know, with the uh, state. We need to look at at, at um, uh, ways of being more efficient in that way and meeting the objectives of, in this case, for example, DMV. And today we're meeting the objective of talking with State Senator George Logan about his first term in the state's legislature. He's a state senator from the 17th district, and he's talking with us on Dateline New Haven, WNHH Radio, your home for community radio, 103.5 FM, live streamed at New Haven newhavenindependent.org. So George, you passed the budget. It was bipartisan. Now we're only a few weeks into that budget. Already we're told we might be $200 million in deficit, and that in fact the governor, it's controversial this week, said I have to by law make more cuts than you made mm -hmm. and aid the cities because you passed me a budget that wasn't real. Right, which is totally false. I mean, this is a case where a budget that was passed uh, with uh, by, you know, bipartisan effort by uh, folks in the uh, Senate and the House, Governor Malloy was uh, kind of kept out of those negotiations because um, he doesn't really understand the art of negotiating. He wanted his budget, his way or no way, and that included... Um, 
moving teacher retirement, you know, pension costs down to Onto municipalities. The yeah. Yeah, we it, it was about four hundred million dollars worth. There's only hundred and sixty nine uh, municipalities in the state and, and some are so uh, his much argument more than back was saying that you guys wanted to tell city and towns you don't want to cut their money, but you're not willing to raise their revenue so you don't have to cut their money. Yeah, but we came up with a balanced budget that uh, didn't do that. It didn't So he's saying now it wasn't balanced because now you're already two hundred million out of balance. No, he's he's actually mixing a couple things uh, together. The budget that we uh, was passed now is balanced. Uh, there were uh, uh, suggestions, structural changes that were made in terms of how the budget should be uh, executed. Governor Malloy is choosing not to do that. Let me give you an example. In the uh, budget that was passed, um, it uh, drastically reduced overtime pay for non-unionized state workers. Malloy said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get the savings from there. I'd rather cut from the towns. That's an example of the, of the governor not going along with the uh, intent of the budget that was passed. So as a result of that, we may be going back into session to try to undo yeah. some of what government lawyers are now. There is certainly truth. But you think he really doesn't want to put a lid on overtime or does he feel he has certain statutory limitations in terms of our collective bargaining rights with the... Uh I truly believe that Governor Malloy wants to do things his way, and he's being right, vindictive. Right, but do you think his way is he doesn't want to keep overtime? He'd rather sock the cities and towns. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I do. I do. Because, I, again, his uh, he has paid more attention, and I say the Democratic leadership, not all Democrats, the Democratic leadership has been more um, in tune with, more concerned with pr you know, protecting the, um, uh, the benefits of unionized state workers at the detriment of the rest of of the population of Connecticut. There are about 45,000 state workers, uh, unionized state workers in, uh, in Connecticut. We have about 3.5 million people in Connecticut. We needed to exact more savings. When you look at the budget of Connecticut, we have about $19 billion per year, approximately. Of that $19 billion, approximately $11 billion goes to a state I union worker. $20.5 billion because $41 billion to your budget. It's approximately $19 billion. It, it, it's it's uh, one year's more than, than the other. Gotcha. Uh, um, and again, approximately. Yes. Uh, we want to use round numbers. You can do that. Let's say twenty million. All right, twenty billion. Uh, approximately eleven billion of that goes to uh, state union workers' salaries. It goes to their uh, uh, pension retirement packages, uh, and it goes to uh, health benefits. So, how can we, as a state who's in a fiscal crisis, financial crisis, not look at that portion of our budget spending? Yeah. So, what Malloy says is that. Um Democrat and Republican governors both underfunded those positions for a lot of years. And that's correct. to stay in office with uh, the union, so he's trying to do his best to change that. And the unions say, we gave you a billion dollars in concessions in 2010. We would argue it actually ended up being less than a billion because part of that was unspecified health savings, which didn't occur. But they say, we gave you concessions. Shouldn't we get a, 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 stand, a quality of life increase like everybody else? Well, personally, I don't believe in wage freezes. All right, that's for one thing. But the areas that I'm looking at in terms of the, the state pension, how much are they contributing to their retirement fund? When you look at the uh, national average, it's upwards of eight, nine, you know, ten percent in many uh, cases. Uh, state union workers, um, up until recently, they many of them contribute twenty-five percent of the state union workers contributed zero into their retirement um, uh, pension, zero, not a red cent. And you're saying we can't afford it. We do can't that. afford to do that. It's a great benefit, but we can't afford it. The other seventy-five percent contributed two percent. So what I was looking to do, and many of my fellow but you legislators... Can't just, you just can't say we're not going to have you do more given that there are statutory limitations on what you can decree well, in you a could, union contract. No, well, we just had uh, uh, the CBAC deal right, that was just passed in July. The coalition that's, of state unions. Right, and that's what really has recently tied our hands behind our back, which I was against that deal because what it uh, does, it, it, it um, um, doesn't allow us to make many of some of those changes until 2027. 
But so, for example, the budget that was passed in September that the governor vetoed was actually going to um, increase those contributions in 2027 to say, look, we've got to start somewhere. And it's going to do it over time. It wasn't going to do it on one in one shot. You know, it's going to re- increase it a couple percentage and yet still keep it below uh, the national average. Right. Why should state workers, again, it's, and state workers do a wonderful job here for the state of Connecticut. They provide services, much important and needed services. But why should state workers receive benefits that are that much more better than folks in the private sector? I guess the answer they might tell you back is because the private sector has been cutting benefits and you can't afford to retire and get sick on some of those benefits. So maybe the goal of society, although I'm arguing you would say we can't afford it given the fiscal realities, we're not taking the money we thought we could take in, is that we wish everybody was paying 0 to 2% toward their retirement. Look, I would love for everyone to be paying 0 to 2% towards retirement, but the, the reality of the fact is that we cannot afford that. Per, uh, private sector businesses can't afford that, and the state of Connecticut can't afford that. We're talking about benefits where, for example, when you're going to calculate what the, um, um, the payments are going to be for retirees, they get to include overtime pay. They get to include mileage, reimbursement for mileage. They get to include, add that to their salaries when we calculate their over their uh, uh, their retirement uh, payments that go on for the rest of their lives. That's an example. When you take a look at um, uh, copays uh, for prescriptions and for uh, doctor uh, visits, far below what the private sector is. Now, again, great benefit. I am not arguing that at all. The point of it is, though, as a state, we can't uh, afford it. George Logan, there was an argument that lost where actually Republicans agreed with Dan Malloy, as did some of the Democrats who voted with the Republican budget. The Democrats, especially from New Haven, who argue that we can raise more revenue, that, that wealthy people can pay 7.5% rather than 6.99% on their income over a million dollars or a half million, that there's the carry interest loophole in the federal and state taxes where a hedge fund owner gets to pay half of what you and I pay for taxable income because they call it something else that's a, that they get a credit for. Why not look at that? Why should we be cutting working families or income tax credit? Why should we be making public schools cut millions of dollars from their budgets? Why should we be closing group homes instead of asking a millionaire to pay what they pay in Massachusetts or New York on their income? I mean, it would be wonderful if there was some sort of a sugar daddy in the sky that could, you know, make all of our troubles and pains go away. Sugar daddy in the sky, right? But we don't have that. That is a that is a, a, a not a reality to think that we can just uh, uh, tax rich people more and get ourselves out of this mess is just doesn't well, work. The argument and, people give back on that is that we've been counting the, the income tax did do that when we used to institute it in the early 90s and for a lot of years it worked. And the reason we keep it to this day, giving what might be honest budget projections, then we have a lot less money than we have the, is because the, we're not getting that the income from the rich we thought we would on those taxes. No, the reason why the income tax, the income tax that was implemented back in the early 1990s hasn't worked was because we imp- we added the income tax. We didn't have an income tax before, and we continued spending like drunken sailors. That's why it hasn't worked. We instituted a, a spending cap, right, that we did not adhere to. So we instituted a spending cap, and legislators, legislatures, uh, over the last you know twenty plus years, have found ways to get around that spending cap. And they always will. That's why I would argue instead of artificial caps that tie the hand of legislators, the public should keep legislators accountable to govern well. And then vote them out if they don't every two years rather than put dedicated trust funds, lock boxes, constitutional caps that you could always get around. Why don't we have it all open what you're doing and then decide every two years we should get in? I'm, I'm in agreement that they haven't worked in the past. You know, so we have tried to put more uh, um, uh, you know, stringent uh, requirements to try to uh, stick to the true intent 
of those spending caps, of those lockboxes. However, however, I want to go back to what we need to do is stop increasing taxes. To start, I don't want to increase taxes on anyone. I don't want to increase taxes on the working uh, 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 families, on the poor. I don't want to increase taxes on the rich because the reason why it doesn't work to just say, let's just uh, raise taxes on those wealthy folks in our state. is The problem is, is that they can leave and they have been leaving. They have options. Folks have options to move to other states. Businesses have options. If but they business, can't, but if, businesses if, have fled to states that have the same level of taxes or higher, but spend more on public infrastructure. I'm talking about Massachusetts, New York, and Alexion, Aetna, um, G, uh, um, GE all went there with the reason that there was a better tech environment, public investment in sort of a, a economic infrastructure. Right. So that takes taxes. Right. However, they didn't just move to New York and move to Massachusetts. They moved to places like Florida and North Carolina and Texas and other areas. The, uh, the issue, and we have, we tax businesses too much in Connecticut. We have too much regulations that's costly to businesses. Uh, and, and I would argue that the reason why they moved to Massachusetts is because Connecticut's tax structure has become so bad. Our uh, environment for businesses to stri- strive, they, to strive in here, to strive here in Connecticut, have become so bad that Massachusetts, who has the the uh, nickname of Taxachusetts, is more attractive than yeah, Connecticut. But they didn't cite the taxes. GE, Aetna, Alexion, they did not at all give that as the reason. The reason they gave was the Boston's tech environment, the labor pool, and the sharing. That was of, the that was sort of the the public face that they put on it. But they have been mm-hmm. working with us for years. Re- Business is no secret that businesses have been complaining on a regular basis about the over regulations that we have here in the state of Connecticut. The taxes, the issue with taxes is when you're running a business and you're constantly looking over your shoulder in terms of when is the next tax increase going to come, you're not going to be thinking about expanding your workforce, you know, hiring more people. You're going to be looking, okay, when can I get out of this environment? You're going to be looking at other states. And what you're going to be doing is not hiring more people, shrinking your workforce so you can make a move to another state. And look, at, you know, we had the governor of Florida come to Connecticut and make no bones about it. He came to Connecticut and said, I am here to try to encourage companies to come to Florida because we have did a he, much better structure. I, I, that, I, I, would, I would imagine that he wouldn't spend his time coming here. No, but did he here. succeed? I don't have the exact uh, details or facts. I, I, I would imagine that the, he must be seeing an outflow of I think they would have heard about it. I think they would have corrected well, no, no, but we have heard about it. We have heard of companies leaving the state. Right. Companies have absolutely been leaving the state you know, over the last uh, you know, uh, several years especially. There's no question about it. When you take a look, and that's why our revenue numbers are going down. They're going down because companies are leaving the state. They're going down because people are leaving the state. They're going down because rich people are leaving the state. Working families are leaving the state, trying to go somewhere else where they can actually afford to live. So I would argue that if we can continue to raise taxes and people leave the state, that means that us folks here who are left behind have to shoulder that tax burden even more so. It's going to encourage more folks to leave the state. We have to provide stability and predictability and let folks know we are not going to raise your taxes. We are going to work within our means and we're going to reprioritize our spending in a smart way. And we're going to work more efficiently as a government. People see all the time how state government is inefficient and wasteful of money. I would even argue even state workers, they understand and they see the uh, uh, inefficiencies in their, but they're not being listened to. You know, and so we need to be smarter in terms of how we um, uh, govern the state. Well, of one person is being listened to right now on Dateline New Haven and WNHH Radio, your home for community radio, 103.5 FM and org, is State Senator George Logan, who represents the 17th District in Harford. It's been his first year, a momentous year, 
and he's here talking to us in Dateline New Haven. It's a pleasure to have him in the studio. George, did you grow up around here? I did. Actually, I grew, grew up? I grew up in New Haven. I grew up in the grew hill. Up in New Haven. I grew up in the hill section of New Haven. Yes, Greenwich Avenue, uh, uh, near Kimberly. Now, which Avenue. half of Greenwich? Because that gets cut off by the railroad. Yes, I was on the um, uh, the hillside, closer to uh, Kimberly Avenue. Uh, okay, so Kimberly Square. We cut closer. That's kind of nice there. You know? Yeah, a couple blocks We've from Kimberly. Square. Had a few rough moments there on Kimberly Avenue. Yeah, but. especially when I was growing up in the uh, in the eighties. <laughs> so, remember but, the big murder there, the, the Dimes murder. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, but so, uh, but I had a wonderful time growing up uh, in New Haven. I mean, um, lots of uh, uh, diversity in terms of, uh, um, I mean, we had folks of uh, uh, Spanish descent, Portuguese, um, you know, it, it, uh, black. It, it, it was a, a wonderful time for me uh, growing up. I went to St. Peter's Parochial School, a local school there. Then I went to uh, Notre That's Dame. That's not open anymore, is it? No, unfortunately it's not. Yeah, they Where built was that? What school. street was that? That was on, uh, I believe it was called Second, uh, uh, it was off oh, of Second Street. So you were able to walk? Yeah. Oh, no. It was in my, actually, my backyard. I had a convent in my backyard. That's how I ended up going there. I was going so to. So if you ever screwed up, you could quickly get a little spiritual advice. A little how about that, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to uh, Kimberly School, which is another, another neighborhood school there, uh, up to fourth grade, and the uh, nuns at the convent uh, convinced uh, my parents and I to, you know, to go to the school. So from fifth grade to eighth grade, I went to St. Peter's School, and from there I went to Notre Dame uh, High School. You spent all your time in New Haven. Um, well, I went to college in Hartford. I went to Trinity College I mean, in Hartford. Until yeah, until then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was born in New Haven. Uh, I lived on uh, uh, Stephen Street um, until I was about four, and then I moved to uh, Greenwich Avenue. Stephen Street's had a rough time since the 90s. Yes, yes. That, <laughs> so, George, you said your parents were of Guatemalan descent? They, and, uh, they, uh, yes, they are. Yes. They're, they immigrated here from Guatemala? That's correct. When they're about 30 years old, yes. But you were born here? But I was born here, yeah. Does that give you any kind of, you're a Republican, Yes, that's correct. And you're in New Haven, so we have to ask you a question like this. Sure. How do you feel about your party's approach to immigration as a child of immigrants? Well, I, I certainly don't feel that we should be, uh, you know, r rounding up and uh, sending, um, um, you know, children, folks that have grown up here, uh, and deporting them. I don't uh, support that There's at all. There's a Guatemalan I do... woman today who was being yes. ordered back, who's not going to a sanctuary church. It was a press conference with the governor and the senators yesterday saying that her daughter, she's keeping her alive with a health problem. She fled violence in Guatemala. She's been here without a problem for 25 years. They want to send her back. How do you feel about that? Well, I think we should look at each uh, specific um, case um, and take a look at first marriage. I mean, I don't think we can just provide a sort of a blanket policy for you know every uh, immigrant, uh, undocumented immigrant here. Do you agree with the crackdown well, 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 place? You got to let me finish that, that thought a little bit. Right. So uh, there's a couple things, right? One, you have adults, people who come um, to the United States uh, illegally, right? I think that um, that needs to be handled in a um, in a certain way. Now you have children, either that were uh, brought here as very young, but they've you know been here for several years, decades. I think that needs to be looked at uh, so as well. So how should we look at dreamers get to stay? Well, I think it's hard to. I, I think it's difficult to just round, and it's and it's not practical to just round up a bunch of folks of part of our community, uh, working, paying taxes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that, and that's not what we are about. I do believe that we need to tighten our immigration policies. I think we should look at the folks that are here now uh, and uh, you know, uh, deal with that situation. Not a mass deportation of people, no. Uh, but we do need to tighten our immigration policies and make it more fair. We have to have a, a, a system, a workable system and way for people from other countries to be able to uh, um, um, come to the United States, so whether, for, whether to work. Uh, uh, temporarily work and go back or to stay permanently we need to look at that so, however 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 i'm more focused in terms of what we have you know right here in connecticut right i'm not at the federal level affecting immigration policy at a federal so level. how do you feel about sanctuary cities well i don't i don't like the term sanctuary city at all um i don't think that it's helpful in any way shape or form to to label a a, a city or a state or, or a, sanct so a sanctuary city however the the, the, the issue the orders. issue of dealing with folks that are here and 
thinking that we're going to have uh, the uh, Federal Immigration Service come in and start rounding up kids and family ho- and going into homes, I am not in favor of, uh, of that uh, at all. Uh, but I don't think we should be labeling our cities or states as quote-unquote sanctuary. So we should be dealing with the situation and the problem. And I am for looking at uh, you know, each case on its individual uh, basis and, and merit. So I don't want to put words in your mouth. What it's sounding to me is that you do not agree with the Trump administration's stepped-up of rage. You do not agree with just open borders, that you believe that the answer is for Congress to do some kind of fix, perhaps like the bipartisan immigration bill that did not pass. We have been looking for years to address the immigration problem here in the United States, and it certainly has affected us uh, here in the state of, uh, of Connecticut. Um, I am certainly not in favor of just rounding up people who have been part of our community for years. However, we do need to take a look at the situation. If we have adults that have come over here to the United States illegally, that has to be looked at differently than folks that were you know, born here in the United States and that are citizens of the United States. And again, we need to look at each case uh, and really view it on its own merits. Differently, would you deport them or would you make them pay a fine and go on a pathway to citizenship? See, but that's that's a decision that needs to be made by lawmakers, right? And if and again, that has so, to be so made Congress, at, and it has to be made at the federal level, okay, you know. So, that's, that's so at this decision, at yeah. this point, I absolutely agree that we need to change our existing laws to handle this situ uh, this situation. But it's not for legislators and uh, state legislators here in, in Connecticut right. to be able to fix that. It's at a federal level. So I would say you, we've you know, got to go to our congressional delegation right and they need to you know con- you know continue to uh, fight to make sure that we have a workable Im- immigration policies and i believe right now at the federal level it certainly has the attention of of the entire nation it needs to be fixed and i hope i'm very hopeful that it, it happens sooner than later because we have the lives of many people and good people uh, in the balance here in connecticut and in the united states Did your folks come here legally uh yes they did yes okay so george logan you grew up in new haven yes you picked up the guitar when? When I was a senior in high school. I was uh, 17 happen? years old. Well, um, I always liked uh, music, and I realized I like uh, I liked songs that had guitars in it. You know, over time, I realized that, right? Me too. And um, you know, growing up, uh, my parents, my mother's a secretary. My father worked in uh, American Crucibles in North Haven was a, uh, as a factory worker. Um, and you know, buying instruments. I said your mom's a nurse. Uh, no, no, a uh, secretary. She secretary. was a, a secretary, retired. She worked for. Uh, um, year uh, Yale career services for a number of years, and then uh, she worked at the Clinica Hispana uh, for a while, for like thirteen years as well. And so they were a working family. We were really concerned about paying bills, and education was all the the rave in my household. Not learning how to play an instrument. Uh, but I decided when I was a senior, I was watching uh, back then MTV used to play lots of videos, and I remember they were going to interview a band that That's I right when it started. Yes, that was like the Flock Seagulls. Tom yeah, I remember that. I remember yeah. that. Era. That's my uh, that's my time. That was, yeah. And I remember um, wanting to see a band that I really respected their music. And then MTV interviewed this band, and there were like five the five biggest goofballs I ever saw in my life. Who were they? Uh, I can't remember the band. It was one of these hair bands, though. But I remember saying to myself, it wasn't "Flock of Seagulls." The guy. No, the hair no, no, no. It was a, it was like a rock hair band. Okay. I remember saying to myself, <laughs> "I remember saying to myself, I think I can do anything those guys can do." You know. So I decided at that moment, I I traded in a couple of, of stereo speakers that I had, and I had a friend that I knew bought a guitar a few months prior. But then you know, one of those guys who buys a guitar and then kind of you know puts it away and is collecting dust in the in the in, a, in the closet. So I traded, I bartered, and um, what kind I, of guitar? It was like a, it was called the Memphis, uh, uh, Memphis Gibson, you know, kind of cloned kind of thing. Electric or acoustic? Uh, electric, electric. And I took lessons uh, with John McCarthy in West Haven at Rock House. Uh, I took lessons for a couple years. And the thing, I was no, certainly no natural playing guitar. 
Uh, but I love to put my fingers on the strings, and I just kept practicing uh, uh, every every day. How did the nuns feel in the convent when you turned off to 11 the amp? <laughs> they were very understanding, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of music spoke to you most? Um, what kind of guitar music? Mostly blues and blues rock. You know, that's how I got into guitar. Yeah, too, yeah, music. yeah. I got into it. Was, I like a lot of... Uh, um, I listened to uh, Jimi Hendrix and uh, mm-hmm. and Buddy Guy and BB King and you know very uh, you just named three very different kind of blues approaches. That's right, right, right. But that's the beauty. I always felt like Bobby BB King sort of like pop going happy guitar. Even playing a sad song, <laughs> yes, yes, it just puts a grin on your face. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree. Is really mining some pain there. The, the, you know, that's the, the thing I love about guitar and playing in guitar. A way. Yeah, yeah you, you can play so many different styles. You know, it's it's. A never-ending, you know, in terms of the learning process when it comes to that. Uh, Did that help you get through adolescence, late adolescence? A- absolutely, yeah, yeah. Very meditative. You know, you, you're able to uh, spend time with yourself and your thoughts. And I, you know, love. What was your favorite song to play? My favorite song to play when I was growing up, uh, probably because it was kind of easy to play, and it, I actually played it on an acoustic guitar. Uh, it was uh, Bob Marley, a uh, redemption song. I was, oh, yeah. I was tickled. You played in key of G. Uh, I did, yes. So yes. G E minor D G. That's about right. That's about right. And and I was when he plays it, it's really nice because you know oh. it's so different from the other music he plays. And exactly. He just has his own way of playing acoustic guitar. Al Green does too when he occasionally plays a good acoustic guitar. Yeah. It's just like a different instrument different. in their hands. Agreed, agreed. And uh, that's a beautiful song. Curtis Mayfield's the same way too. He picks up the guitar. He plays. Oh, I didn't know he picks up the guitar. I love Curtis Mayfield. Yeah. Oh my gosh, huge guitar player. He has his own unique style that no one else has yeah, been able. Vocals are what defined for Abs- me. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, the, the fact that with the Redemption song, I was just tickled pink that I can actually play a song that Bob Marley, you know, yeah. was able to, you know, could play and sing. That, that really was. Did you play any me. bands, or did you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. A, um, even in college, I had a, you know, had a band. And oh, uh, you led the band? Uh, yeah, I did. What I was did. it called? Um, it was called uh, Whereabouts Unknown. Because uh, where did you play? Uh, really, campuses on uh, at Trinity College on campus. Uh, you know, we, we did uh, spring, you know, weekends that sort of thing. Uh, but it was it was a local. It was just a. a Were you the vocalist country. too? Uh, yeah, you know, I am the vocalist. How and I'm the I'm the vocalist of my band now, Electric Lady Band. Are you still oh like uh, like Electric Lady Land? Land exactly. Do Hendrix covers? Yeah, Hendrix tribute band. If you go to YouTube and you search YouTube under Electric Lady Band USA, you'll see us playing at Toad's Place. And as a matter of fact, we have a show at Toad's Place on January twelfth. We'll be at Toast Place at 10 p.m. on January uh, 12th. So you're still gigging. Who do you play with? Um, well, uh, my brother is the bass player. He's a uh, uh, chief uh, uh, of pro- probation in uh, in Manchester. And I play with Chris Donlan. He's a, a teacher at one of the Fairfield High School um, uh, schools. And he's that my drummer. That sounds great. Yeah. That's yeah. like another, you're Republican, another local Republican, Chris DiPino, has performed for many years. With Good the man. Harmonica I know him. He's musician. great. So you've been gigging all these years. So you're a legislator who finds time to gig. Is it mostly covers or what's the, uh, is it a tribute band to Hendrix? Yeah, I, I do originals as well. But when I play out, I do the covers because people like to hear songs that they're familiar with. So I figured mm-hmm. I might as well play songs so that I like So the covers are Hendrix? Yes, pretty much, yes. Okay, here's the question. You don't have to answer this. Sure. Do you like the guitar and fire? Uh, no, I've never done that. <laughs> no, and, and considering you might not make it to year two. Exactly. <laughs> favorite song to play in the band? Uh, favorite song I would say is uh, Voodoo Child. Mm. It's a very fun mm. song. And people, for whatever reason, people uh, seem to, uh, for that song, seem to dance when I play it uh, at concerts. So it has a, a good groove to it. I was it. wondering about, like, you know, performers love when people dance to the music. Yes. Is it a feeling of power or a feeling that you're making them happy or a feeling of affirmation for the music you're playing or all three? It, it's, a feel, it's a little bit of all three, but I would say it's a feeling of um, uh, connectedness. You know, you're playing the music, folks are grooving and dancing uh, to it, and it, it, it really just kind of helps them bring the energy. Similarly, in politics, when I'm, uh, uh, you know, talking to folks, you know, talking to folks, you know, and, um, um, you know, I'm talking about what my priorities are at the legislature. I'm listening to folks 
And when you know we're in line, and I see that the 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 work that I'm uh, trying to accomplish in Hartford is in line with the people of my uh, community, uh, to me that's just uh, wonderful. That's why I love to go. I go to lots of events throughout my seven uh, towns. I'm going to events almost every day, meeting folks, trying to hear uh, you know what's at the you know what's at the forefront of their minds. What are their areas of concern? Because I don't want to uh, be the kind of legislator that's in Hartford um, and that's not connected with the fe- the folks of his uh, uh, of his community. All right, but you're connecting with Senator George Logan, State Senator George Logan, here on Dateline New Haven, WNHHFM, your home for community radio, 103.5 FM, live stream, newhaven.org. I want to hear your band, but that's for another day. <laughs> the, um, you, uh, what's your day job? Uh, I am not a career politician. Uh, I work for a water utility. You're still a, at Aquarian. Aquarian Water Company out of the Fairfield uh, County area. My office is in Easton. And what do you do there? Uh, I am currently director of uh, environmental management. Um, director of? Environmental management. Uh, I started off as an engineer there, and I was director of uh, the engineering department for several years there. And uh, now I've kind of uh, been looking to expand. How has that affected your legislating? So you've had tro- you've had experience on engineering solutions with the environment, which comes up before the legislature. You've had experience with capital projects, with alternative energy. Has there been a time in your first year, George Logan, where you said, I can add to this bill, I can, I can stand up and make a speech, I can propose a bill, I can make an informed vote because of the experience I've had for the last 25 years in this industry. Can you give me a, for instance? No, absolutely. I do that, um, um, you know, actually uh, all the time. And there was a, a big bill um, having to do mainly to do with uh, uh, the Metropolitan Water District and bottled water. Nestle was trying to, um, um, you know, um, open up a, a business. And some folks on, on the environmental side uh, didn't think it was a good idea. Where to, was that? Uh, I believe it was in the Bloomfield area, at least. Uh, so Nestle wanted to have a bottling business. Yeah, which, which they actually have now since, uh, uh, I think, since opened. Uh, but the issue was, should um, we be using the waters of Connecticut uh, to be used for, you know, bottled water that's going to be sent, uh, you know, out to all, you know, outside of the state of uh, Connecticut? Yeah, I know. It's kind of, I found it kind of odd as well. I mean, you use water for beverages and for sodas and for beer. Why not? Why would you not use it for bottled water? But, but what was but the honest fo- argument? Well, well, the issue is the issue is really is the the plastic. Uh, plastic bottles, uh, which I do think is an issue and a problem and something that we need to focus. And that's why recycling is so uh, important. But um, that is an area where, you know, when you go to Hartford, um, a lot of folks consider me to, to be the water guy. So if any legislator has sort of kind of, you know, questions about uh, water, uh, they usually come uh, looking for me for just my So what was point. the solution here? What were you able to add to the conversation because of your knowledge at the water company? Well, I just gave, just similar like I'm giving to you, I just gave some sort of uh, background and perspective to folks when I say, look, I mean, w- you know, water is used for agriculture. Water is used for, you know, for different uh, so beverages. On the issue however, 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 I had to always, I always have to be careful uh, because we have a citizen uh, government here. So I have to make sure when there's votes that come to the floor that I recuse myself from specific votes. Um, I don't recall if I did on that. I guess the question would be whether yeah. it would affect, we would want you to use your expertise Correct. in the industry to influence a bill. We would not want you to vote on a matter that would affect the profits of your employer. That's correct. So I have to be very careful. But, but, but there's the team of folks up there, you know, there's a bunch of attorneys and we have an, uh, an ethics group right. that we're able to bounce things off. And I always uh, uh, go there and, and rely on them and their opinion uh, to try to make sure that I'm, I'm following things uh, correctly. You talk about being in touch with your district. It's an interesting district, the 17th, because you have so many different kinds of communities. you got the heart of the valley, yes. which I would call a Reagan Democrat slash Trump area. Maybe disagree with me, you know, Derby, Ansonia, Beacon Falls. You have Hamden, which is turning blue really fast. Mm. Um, and, and you got uh, Bethany, which are, and Woodbridge, which is what I call in the middle. You got working class, you got rich, you got middle class, you got poor. So you're, 
do you have a lot of different districts? Do you find a common thread? I'm throwing you a softball here. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of my uh, my district, our district, the 17th district, I would agree. But that's one thing I love about uh, my district. You know, we have the full spectrum of diversity in the district, you know, and I have a pleasure, you know, trying to uh, help and work with everyone within the uh, district. I don't particularly uh, see the different towns as uh, blue towns or red towns. All I try to do is, is try to uh, help to improve the lives of, of everybody working. So if you've got to play a song for them, not as the band leader, but as the state senator, yes. how do you... How, what melody have you found that you all can dance to? Stop raising taxes. <laughs> Everybody can understand that. Everybody can understand that. Stop it. Stop raising our taxes. Stop making Connecticut unaffordable to live in. Uh, that is my message, and that has rung uh, true no matter which uh, community or district that, uh, that I'm in. Um, you know, I mean, certainly, um, um, you know, some districts are, are more uh, conservative and liberal than others, but my, my objective, my goal is to find where there's you know commonality and how I can help folks out. I, even recently, I met with a, a group, a progressive uh, a political a group called the uh, Ham Pan, right. Hamden Political Action right. Network. Came out of the Bernie Sanders it, campaign. Yeah, the- and, I, and I and I had you know to be you know, I had uh, you know certain uh, uh, folks on the conservative side saying you know why are you meeting with with that group, uh, Logan? I said because they're in my district. They're in my district. I'm going to meet with them and find out you know, what their concerns are and how, how I can help. It went very well. I, I, you know, I mean, we certainly had differences of, of, of opinion in certain areas. I mean, some of those folks, uh, some of them, not all of them, wanted to, um, as you mentioned earlier, raise taxes, raise on, the taxes on, the, on the wealthy. And I explained as I did here. And you know, we had conversation in a respectful way. But you know what? They pointed out a couple of things that I wasn't aware of, and I was able to bring that like uh, back. Well, one, for example, um, this uh, issue of uh, increasing... The, um, this is for teachers, increasing the amount that teachers uh, have to contribute for their retirement pension. We're going to increase it, uh, uh, you know, one or two percent over a time, and that uh, increase, that money, that extra money was going to go into the general fund. And um, Hampan and a number of other uh, constituents, uh, and particularly teachers, they did not like the idea of it going into the general fund. They felt better about it um, if it went, you know, into the teacher uh, retirement fund. And so I brought that back to Hartford, and I, I talked to other legislators, and I found out that they, too, were getting that same feedback from uh, teachers. So guess what? Uh, the budget that passed, it, go, it now goes into the So you're the a Republican. Budget. You feel you can work with everyone. Absolutely, yeah. So why are you a Republican? That's relatively recent. You said you've been independent most of your life. Well, why not? Why not be a Republican? The Republicans are, are great, particularly Connecticut Republicans, are a great uh, party. Uh, I think, um, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, working in terms of um, um, uh, personal responsibility and bringing yourself up by the the, the bootstraps. Um, I, I'm uh, fiscally uh, conservative, and that aligns well with a lot of Republicans. I'm a moderate Republican. Um, I think the Republican Party is a, a great party. I think that people should not um, put themselves uh, in a box. You know, oftentimes, uh, sometimes uh, I, I hear, you know, why are you you're an African American? Why are you a Republican? I'm like, I go, why not? You know, so you tell me, am I, as an African-American, is it okay with you if I became an engineer? I'm, you probably don't know many engineers. Does that mean I shouldn't be an engineer? You know, uh, is it okay with you that I live in Ansonia? Is it okay? You know, we have to stop putting people in uh, boxes. But There's is it up to white people about what party you get to join? I'm telling you. <laughs> no, it is, it's up to the individual oh, okay. to decide what party they want to join. Now, in Connecticut, I, was, I told folks I was an unaffiliated voter for like, uh, like, you know, like 20 years. Um, and, um, but over time... I found that my uh, values, particularly when it came to when it comes to uh, um, financial matters, fiscal matters, were more aligned with the Republican Party. When you're going to run for office, you have to uh, be a part of one party or another. It's almost it's difficult to impossible to be uh, independent. There. I'm who, very who, comfortable. Who was your candidate for president last year? Uh, I did not support uh, uh, either because uh, publicly. No, in the Why? primaries. 
I didn't. I didn't support Republican any. primaries. You weren't a case that's Republican. I didn't. Um, I didn't support any presidential candidates. Why? Because I'm here to support and and to represent everybody living in the district, whether they are Republicans or Democrats, whether they are Trump. I support Trump supporters. I support uh, Hillary supporters, Bernie Sanders supporters. If you live in my in my district, one of my seven towns, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to help to improve your life here in Connecticut, here in the seven uh, towns. So for me to take sides on a um, a, a national um, election, uh, it doesn't really do any. any it doesn't do are any you comfortable good. with the Trump administration? Well, I respect the office of the presidency. Uh, I certainly think there'd be there's certainly areas of of improvement. Uh, you know, if I were in the office, I certainly would do it differently. I'm sure if you would, if you were uh, as well. I I think that um, in terms of the office, uh, this is what we have now. We have to work as best we can to get as much out of that administration as we can for the state of Connecticut. So if any um, uh, policies or suggestions or laws um, uh, that are coming out of uh, you know, Washington that are going to hurt Connecticut, uh, I'm going to be you know, all over it in terms of to our congressional delegation, um, uh, Blumenthal, Murphy, Delora, and to make sure that they, they know, make sure you're working for Connecticut. Make sure that what comes out of Washington doesn't hurt our state of, uh, of Connecticut. My focus is all on, uh, on, on Connecticut. Tyler Fredericks writes in, checking in from Naugatuck. I've never felt better represented in Hartford ever since Senator Logan was elected. George 2018. <laughs> I don't, he didn't say what office. Um, so Thanksgiving's coming up. Yes. Tomorrow. Yes, exciting. Not going on district. What are you doing over the next two days? Well, uh, tomorrow, Thanksgiving Day, I'm going to start off in uh, Naugatuck. I'm going to the Ansonia Naugatuck football game. So if anybody's out there, please feel free to look uh, for me there. I and think if, I, if people don't understand if you live in that district, that is a bigger deal than your marriage day, your high school graduation, your funeral, or the budget vote in Capitol. It is a big deal. So I think I'm going to start. <laughs> I think I'm going to start the uh, the first half. I think I'm going to start in uh, in Naugatuck, and then I think I'll work my way over to Ansonia. However, which bleachers are you going to sit in, Ansonia Derby? I'm going to sit in both. Ah, there you go. And stand in and stand in the middle as much as possible. <laughs> Hopefully on the field. Come the cornerbacks <laughs> come down the field. Yeah. But I'm also going to go to the Hamden uh, High School football game as well. So I'm going to leave that big game football early. day. Yes, yes. Where are you having dinner? Um, I'm going to my uh, brother-in-law's house in Hamden, uh, and then I'm going to go to Stanford. I have a, a cousin who's having an event, so I'm going to really chow down uh, tomorrow. I'll be you in Hamden and Stanford. You are a serious equal opportunity mover. <laughs> George Logan, what are you thankful for this Thanksgiving day? Oh, I am thankful for many things. I'm thankful for being under the grace of God. I am thankful for my family. I'm thankful for all the friends that I've had in my, uh, in my life. I'm thankful for all the people in the 17th district that I'm able to represent uh, in Hartford. Um, I'm thankful particularly of my parents and my mom for raising me the way that they uh, have. Uh, I'm thankful for the uh, United States of America to be to live and to be able to uh, work and raise my family in the greatest country uh, on the planet Earth, I think is uh, is wonderful. And I'm thankful of that on Thanksgiving Day and every day. Amen. Pass the turkey or in our case, the tofurkey. <laughs> well, I'm thankful for State Senator George Logan for taking out the time to join us today on Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM. I'm thankful to everyone who joined us to listen today and listen to us every day. We have a lot more love to spread in the weeks to come. Special thanks to Yellow Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic Experience based in the 17th District. Performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to book our flight. Book your flight with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. Mm-hmm.